Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Ace Hardware. Ace, the helpful place. This time of year, we're starting to get a little bit of weather change. You know, we had some fronts come through and temperatures start cooling off. We're going right back to the heat again. It's not a permanent change. And so a lot of times what people are worried about is how do they keep their energy bills low. And let's face it, that can be tough to do sometimes. Well, some some ish, some things that can help you out with that. Uh, stuff like programmable thermostats. I mean, they're, they're, they're available, but, you know, the problem is... I get into so many people's homes where they over-program it. In other words, they make the swing too large. Really, when you go over 5 degrees, you're going to pay more to cool the house back down than if you would have just left it alone. So make 5 degrees your limit on a programmable thermostat. If you don't have a radiant barrier yet, it's time to get one. They were all the rage just 10 years ago, and I know most people have them now. But let me tell you, if you don't, you're missing the boat. It can make a big difference. Uh, Fireplaces. You know, you hear me talk sometimes that if you take all the openings in a house and add them up, it can make a two-foot square hole in the wall. Well, a fireplace is nothing but a big hole that lets air in and out of your home. So how do you how do you solve that? Well, they actually make plugs that you can put into a fireplace in the summer months, you know, that blow up and seal it up. You've got the damper that's in there. Make sure it's closed. If you don't have a glass door on the fireplace, get a glass door. It kind of gives you, uh, you know, double protection there. Just simple things like that can make a huge difference. Exhaust fans. And a lot of times we don't think about this, but the exhaust fan above, like the stove, the fans in the bathrooms, things like that, they are designed to suck air out of the house. Well, guess what air they're sucking out of the house and blowing outside? Yeah, the air we paid good money to cool, or in the winter months, heat. Regardless, I know we need the exhaust fans, and there's times we need to turn them on. Limit the use of exhaust fans. You are spending money to heat and cool air, throw it outside, and have to heat and cool again. It's a huge waste. So, again, limit the use of exhaust fans. Um, Your water heater. You know, a lot of times people will say, oh, lower the temperature on the water heater. I want to make sure that you understand, don't go below 120 degrees on that. When you get below 120 degrees, you start developing a lot of bacteria, uh, things that can really get nasty that you just don't want to deal with on a water heater. Uh, Now, do you need scalding hot water? Absolutely not. And that's why you can turn it down some and save yourself a lot of money. A lot of people don't realize it. Your air conditioning system can account for up to 65% of your heating and cooling bill. Your water heater can account for 20%. It's a huge deal. So, again, make sure that you 
adjust it, but don't go overboard. Oh, how about ventilation in the attic? Rule of thumb, one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square foot of attic space. 60% of the ventilation should be in the soffit as intake and 40% in the exit. I personally like ridge vents, but there are other forms that you can use, but ridge vents for me are the way to go. And then, of course, solar screens. Now, they again, they were something that were really big a few years ago. They're still on the market. Now, a lot of people don't like them because they block your visibility, and it makes you feel dark inside the house. There are some newer solar screens that don't darken it as much inside the house. In general, they still do that. However, there are, um, oh, there are products that you can put on the glass itself now, like Super Optics, 3M. Uh, both of them make some great products that you can put on the glass itself. They're crystal clear, so you don't even see it, yet it blocks the heat transfer from coming into your home. And it also protects the carpet, the furniture, the wood floors from fading. So there are some really good products out there for doing that stuff nowadays. And, of course, weather stripping around the doors. We're back to that two-square-foot hole. Uh, you know, if, if you want to really stop the air from traveling in and out of the house, doors are one of those things you really got to take care of. Alan, how can I help you today? Thank you for taking my call. So when I bought my house 20 years ago, the roof vents, just um, the ones they put in uh, very passively moved the air from inside the attic to the outside. And I ended up replacing some of them with the electric ones. The problem is those burn out every few years, and I have to replace them. And I read on the Internet where those actually can do more harm than good because they can end up sucking, it, sucking out the cool air from inside the house. So yes. my question was, and I think you kind of just touched on um, pulling the attic, Besides the radium barriers, what is the best way to, the best vent fans that are can be used to cool the attic? Well, my first choice is to use ridge vents. Use continuous soffit vents and a continuous ridge vent. The air comes in through the soffit vent, hot air rises, it goes out through the ridge vent, and it's just a mother nature thing taking care of it. No power going to it. The other big problem they have with those electric fans is they short out and start a lot of attic fires. Oh, really? And so I do not recommend electric attic fans at all. If you need some type of power fan, look at a solar power fan for up there. The motors tend to last much longer. You don't have the uh, burnout risk like you do with the electric ones. You know, the shorting out and causing fires have just not been happening with the solar powered ones. So that would be my second choice. Uh, and then my third choice goes down to what's called an air hawk. Uh, and it's really just a big hole in the attic with a cover over it. And you run multiple ones along the ridge of the attic to, uh, to again, just let hot air rise and escape out. Um, and I've seen houses, and especially a lot in my neighborhood, the turbines, that they're not electric. Yes. The big turbines that turn. What about those? Uh, those are my the, my last resort if I can't use one of the other three items that I mentioned. Oh, wow. So those are not very effective? 
not real effective at all. They have a very limited area of movement. In fact, in some cases, they're actually bringing air down from the top. The whole key to attic ventilation is you got to make sure you got enough soffits. Most homes do not have enough soffit vents. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. You bet, Alan. Take care. And and by that not having enough soffit vents, most homes they've got a vent every 15 to 20 feet. Continuous is the ideal situation. At, at minimum, I want you to get it down to every four feet. I mean, we really need to tighten up on these soffit vents. Larry, this is Jim. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, Jim. Enjoy the show. Um, I have you. questions about uh, the uh, solar screens. I need to put some yes. in. Are there different types? And you also said something about possibly applications to the actual glass, you know, on the window. There are different types. And, the, the you know, the the types that they have is actually how much of the sunlight they're going to block coming in. And so the more dense, the more uh, sunlight that they're going to block, obviously the darker it's going to be inside the house. And, of course, they come in multiple colors as well. Um you know, as far as the films for the glass, yeah, there's a lot of films for glass, and I really recommend that typically over solar uh, screens. Now, if it's in direct sunlight, then at times I'll go, I, I would recommend the solar screens if it's in direct sunlight all the time or just extremely bad. But if you'll take a look at super optics, and that's S-U-P-E-R, optics, or 3M. Both of them clear window film that goes on the glass. You virtually don't see it, yet it blocks that UV from coming in and the heat from coming, coming in. And at the same time, makes it where if you have glass breakage or something, you know, it holds the glass together much like a uh, tempered glass would do. It's not going to, tempered glass will shatter into little pieces. Uh, a regular glass, when it breaks, goes into the big sheets. And so with this film on there, it's much like a uh, windshield on a vehicle. There's plastic in between two layers of glass on the windshield, so it holds the broken glass together. And these window films do that as well. And you like the film better than the uh, over the uh, solar screens? Or, in you know, general, I do. And, yeah, in general, I do for, for a couple of reasons. One, I just plain like to be able to see out the window. And the solar screens block a lot of the light. I like it extremely light inside uh, as well. But then the other thing is just the fact of the UV that it stops because it helps protect the all the stuff inside from fading. And so the window films are typically my favorite way to go. Sally, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can we help you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. My question, um, I had a couple of questions. One is an AC question. Um, and I'm, I have a system that's about three years old and, and I'm seeing the drain pipe is plugged up and the drain pan is filling up with water and threatening to drip through the ceiling and I'm just like what causes the drain pipe to plug up I know when they installed it they 
in passing said you probably should put a couple of drops of bleach in a in a one of the pipes up there but they didn't show me which pipe so i'm just curious like you know what causes that and and is there anything the homeowner can do or do i need to make a service call dan go ahead okay so Drains, uh, there should be two drains uh, tied up to your system. One is going to go into one of the sinks in most cases, especially in a three-year-old home. Um, that's usually where they clog up. Uh, it ties into the downspout from into the sink, and the sediment will build up there and clog up. You can easily disassemble that P-trap, clean that out, and a lot of cases that will take care of it. Okay. Okay, so I need them to come and probably do that for me it sounds like it, yeah it, it can be a very messy ordeal you need to make sure that you have lots of towels um, buckets and that one when you disassemble it that's the easy part but putting it back together is where the difficulty come and I do recommend that you call a professional company to do that definitely my other question is I have a drain pipe in my front yard I live on the low side of the street so when it rains very heavily, that drain pipe preserves, you know, the front from flooding. And over time, with a big tree that's killed off the uh, landscaping, there's a lot of dirt. And the drain has gotten covered over. I've been out there digging on and off forever. I can't find the drain. I can't remember, it, obviously, exactly where it is. And, like, who who can help me with that or how – I mean, I've thought about metal detector. I don't know how to approach it to find that drain, and it has been a problem um, with some of the heavy rains that we've gotten. Well, typically for finding a drain, uh, they can run a line down through the pipe that's called a line locator, and they can locate it that way if there's no other way to find it. And what pipe are they threading it through from well they depending on what it is you know if, if it was if it if it was a sewer pipe they would thread it th through one of the toilets down through the you know pull a toilet and go in that way if it's a storm drain pipe you know like for gutters and such That's, i think then they then they would simply go down through where a gutter is and that would be a plumber yes ma'am a plumbing company okay thanks guys you Thank bet you. take care yeah, and you know, Dan, so many people have that problem with the uh, drains on their AC units, uh, and it's one of those things when somebody comes out and services the unit, they really need to check that on a regular basis, don't they? Yes, um, that's critical, and about the time frame she was talking about is what we see, about every three years because of the sediment buildup. Now, a lot of times you can prevent that or reduce the how often it happens by when you disassemble that uh, P-trap underneath the sink is cut the downspout back a little bit so that the uh, drain pipe from the HVAC has a good opening and solid continuous flow. Most of these things are cut off by that downspout and don't get flow for a long period of time and will back up every two, two to three years. But this is part of the normal maintenance that we would do when we come out. Uh, if you're part of a maintenance program, which we highly recommend to everybody, and check those drains both in the spring and in the fall. Let's see here. David, welcome to KRLD. How can we help you? Hi, that's me. Uh, I had a compressor go out on the mobile home I live in. 
this happened today, I just wonder what it could have been, a fuse outside the unit or could it be something else? <laughs> uh, you know, the fan compressor. Okay. Okay, so you said the capacitor went out on it? No, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's the plug-in fuse on the outside of it or something else, you know. The, it's a pretty new one. About, is is the outdoor unit still running? Well, it's not coming on. Yeah, the fan's running and all that. But uh, Okay. So yeah. there, there's several things it could be. Uh, first thing I would do is I would check the breaker to the outdoor unit, make sure it hasn't tripped for some reason. Um, the biggest thing that we see right now is actually the capacitor in the outdoor unit. Because of the extreme heat that we saw, especially this week, um, if there, there's some foreign uh, capacitors that are in these units that will pop due to overheating. And it's very okay. common this time of year. So that's most likely what it is. If your breaker's uh -huh. on, um, yeah. I would have the capacitor checked first. I see. It's pretty new. You know, like an American standard or something. So right. And that's, that. a, that's a good yeah. product. But it's very common. We're seeing a lot of this right now. Uh, yeah. we, we install a product now when we put new units in. Uh, and we actually change these capacitors out and put in uh, USA what's called a USA capacitor, which, which can withstand the heat um, and handle the load that we put these things under. I see, yeah. It's been coming out a lot lately. So, okay, thank you. A few ants getting in there, but I don't think that's the problem. <laughs> well, now, what? that's all, that could be a whole other situation now because yeah. uh, there is, due to contact points in the contactor, which sends the voltage through to the key components, your compressor and your fan motor, these uh -huh. ants will get up in those points and block it from completing the circuit. I so see. that okay. is very possible if you've got an ant or a uh, spider problem in that area. Yeah. It maybe you might want to turn it on and off a couple of times, see if you okay. can't get those contact points to clear to uh, okay. energize the outdoor unit. All right, appreciate it. We did have a guy call in a little while ago, and he couldn't hold on, but he has a patio slab attached to the house and was wondering, how do you attach them to the house? Well, when a patio is being poured, you've got two different ways of doing the, the patio. One is to have an expansion joint along the house, and you just pour the concrete up to it. The other is to actually drill into the existing foundation, insert rebar, you still put the expansion joint material there, but then when you pour the concrete, the two are basically attached together because all soil is going to move. It's going to expand and contract and have some movement. So by the theory is by attaching the two together, it holds together as the concrete moves. The downsides, when you're pouring a patio, it's typically just four inch concrete. So when you've got that rebar going into it, you got two inches of concrete above and two inches below. That's if you could do a full four or four and a half inches of concrete because you've also got the thickness of the rebar that you use to take into account. And what can happen is when the soil does start moving, if it puts too much pressure on that patio area, it will splinter off and chip and break the concrete. So there are some plus and minuses. Will it typically hold it better in place? Yes. I'll be honest with you, I normally try to discourage people from putting the rebar into the existing slab. Let the two pieces of concrete move independently. They were put in at different times. 
they're going to react a little bit different. And again, the big issue is the breaking of the concrete. Well, if you'll put moisture control around the foundation and maintain a moisture level, you'll maintain that foundation and that doweling won't be an, as big an issue regardless and you don't have to worry about it breaking the concrete. When you pour, whether it's a patio, a driveway, sidewalks, whatever you're doing, there's a couple things to keep in mind. And I just, yeah, I mentioned uh, we had our training class up at the uh, lease this Friday and Saturday. Uh, one of the classes I taught was on concrete. 3,000 PSI concrete is what you want to use. That's the standard. You can go higher, don't go lower than 3,000 PSI concrete. No wire mesh in the concrete. Use rebar. Number three rebar on 12 to 16 inch centers depending on what you're doing. The wire mesh gets walked on, it gets pushed below the concrete. I got picture after picture of wire mesh under the concrete where it's doing absolutely no good for the concrete. The rebar, at least when they're you know, laying the concrete in place and all that, you can walk between the rebar. On wire mesh, it's six inch squares. You're going to walk on it. You're going to push it down. And yes, I know the rakes have that little hook on there to pull the, the, re the wire mesh back up into the middle of the concrete. Reach down, grab your bootstraps, pick yourself up. Ain't happening. Any more than it's going to happen picking up that piece of wire mesh under your boots. It just doesn't work. Use rebar. It costs a few dollars more and it extends the life of that concrete just exponentially. You'll be much happier with the results. When you're having a, a patio, driveway, any of that stuff poured, have them dig down the edges into the soil a little bit, uh, like six inches or so, because water, when it runs along the concrete, will tend to wash soil away. And if you just got the four inches of concrete, it'll start washing underneath and wash material out from under it. By taking the, and turning down the edge, and it doesn't take much, just like a four inch wide strip that goes down further, you're making it that much harder for anything to tear that concrete up. Now, does that mean you can build on it? Absolutely not. If you're going to ever use a, a concrete patio or something to build, then I do recommend you dial it in, but I also recommend you have a regular beam all the way around, including up against the house. And in that case, I would rebar into the existing foundation. But nonetheless, rebar, no wire mesh, 3,000 PSI concrete. Hello and welcome to Texas Home Improvement this fine Saturday morning. Jim is out and I am in. It is Todd Tremonti with Market Experts Realty and the Todd Tremonti Home Selling Team. And today we'll be talking about this crazy real estate market that we are in. And we'll be talking about several ways that we can protect you from making a big mistake when it comes to following something that somebody told you on TV or in a magazine and the reality of what the real estate market on the ground in North Texas is right now in late summer 2016 when crazy old Todd Tremonti told you that there was going to be a market shift. So what does that mean for you? We're happy to talk about it today. I'll tell you what it means for a lot of our clients right now. 
We're getting a lot of questions. Hey, you know, I heard on the news that there's a market shift. I heard it's a bubble. Well, let's talk about that. Our market, just like almost every market across the country, experienced a really, really dramatic change in our opinion about the value of real estate round about 2008. Some of us started seeing it late 07. Some of us didn't feel it until 2009. But what we all felt is a bunch of people that borrowed too much money and a lot of them had trouble paying it back. And that set forth this kind of course of action that caused foreclosures and short sales and fear in the marketplace and a lot of buyers and sellers to stay out of the market simply because they were worried about what that meant for them and their money. The good news is when you look at the national market, places like Southern California and South Florida and basically the coastlines of the country, east and west, experienced some real carnage. People owned homes that lost 50% of their home value. People had to get foreclosed on when they had good jobs and dual incomes and were good, honest people. Most of that did not happen here in the great state of Texas. We experienced what I like to call a pause. Somebody behind the curtain hit pause and our home prices stopped going up. And a lot of people stopped buying and selling real estate. So the pace of our market kind of hit a heavy speed bump and slowed down. But there were very few people whose home lost 20, 30, 40% of its value. There's some people that saw 4, 5, 6% correction. Most of us just saw nothing. And most of us saw even our tax values going down. And we, we paid lower taxes on our homes. It, it was a pretty logical market for us. That's the beauty of North Texas. It tends to be a fairly stable, logical economic system. And the housing market leads that economic movement. So these are this is good news for you. The reason I'm going into this amount of detail, I'm not necessarily a hyper-detail guy, but I want you to know that when I tell you we're experiencing a market shift, but that shift is not going to be a crash. It's not going to be a bubble. It's going to be a shift that if you're an intelligent adult and you take advice and you look for information, you can take advantage of this shift. You can still sell a home at max value while some home sales are going to start to taper off just a little bit. You can still buy a home at a heck of a good price while most sellers are still thinking they're going to break a record when they sell their home. Now, how do you do that? Of course, I'm a little bit biased, but I would say you do that with the help of a skilled full-time professional real estate advisor. If you want to check us out online, you can check us out at overunderagent.com. We guarantee to sell homes over the average price and under the average time. I'm not here to make this an infomercial about me. I just want to give you good information so that you can make wise choices for you and your family. We tell people the best time to sell a house, the best time to buy a house, the best time to invest in a home is when it's right for you and your family and your budget and your life. A good real estate advisor is going to create a strategy that is best for you at any time, Christmas Day or 4th of July. Everybody wants to believe that the best time to sell and buy a house is spring and summer. That's not inherently wrong, but it's also not wrong to say the best time for you might be New Year's Day. The best time for you might be February 1st. If it's not right for you, don't let the quote-unquote best time for the market dictate what you and your budget does because that gets people into a lot of trouble. A good advisor can create a strategy for you to sell high or buy low any time of the year in any market. Sometimes it requires more patience than others, and it always requires sitting down, having an adult conversation, and putting a strategy together. Don't run out and start looking at houses on the internet. Don't run out and start going to open houses ready to make an offer, or you're going to make a mistake. Don't decide to sell your house and find anyone in the neighborhood to put a sign in the yard and get it up on the market tomorrow. 
take some time to put a strategy together. And by time, I don't mean five months. I mean a couple of weeks. Sit down with somebody you trust. Looks like we've got Lori on the line. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Good, glad to have you. How can we help you today, Lori? Well, I was just trying to find out. In about three years, I'm planning on retiring. And at that point, I'm still not exactly sure what I'm going to do yet. But I'm thinking that I'll probably want to sell the house. But Mm -hmm. I've been a little nervous about everything going in our political world right now. And I'm concerned about who might be our next president and how that might impact us. And I'm wondering if I should still be comfortable at staying in my house and not worrying about selling it yet, that three more years I should be okay, or whether I should be thinking about maybe this is the time. Do you want me to give you the shortest, worst radio answer in the history of talk shows? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. There's yeah. your answer. <laughs> yes. You should feel yeah. very comfortable owning a home in North Texas for the next three years. You uh, and, and anybody else. W- tell me where your home is. It doesn't matter, but I'll give you some specifics. Oh, no, my home's up in Indiana, and I got lucky. I bought it 10 years ago for almost nothing, and it's gone up exponentially, like you were mentioning in the last year or so. So that's been lovely, but I was just starting to be concerned as to whether sure well i I think your concerns are wise you know you heard me in the opener talk about you know the market shift that we're entering in and and what does that mean for people but let me just say this The, the presidential election that we're heading into here is a major reason that we are starting to see the market just kind of pause a little bit. And again, pause isn't the right word. Uh, adjust a little bit. Um, there's. Uh-huh. I always tell, when I train my sales guys and our team, I tell them a confused mind says no, right? If somebody is confused, they're not going to make a major decision. And what right. happens? what happens to homeowners in a market like this with as much political turmoil and confusion as there is out there, is we don't know what's going to happen next, so we all just sit tight and kind of be, kind of sit and, and 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 be nervous. To be honest with you, uh-huh. well, so let me sure. just validate your concerns. They're certainly wise, intelligent concerns, but the data, the trending, the opportunity that exists in North Texas tells me that for the next year or two or three, you should be very confident. There are still significant numbers of major corporations building huge corporate campuses here, and the good news, Lori, is they're doing this with cash. Because they sat out from 08 until 2014 or 15, holding on to their money. Now they're starting to, we're starting to see a little optimism. They're bringing jobs here. They're bringing homeowners here. These are good jobs, well-paying. People are buying houses and cars and putting their kids in schools. And so for the foreseeable future, North Texas ought to continue to act even more favorably than even the rest of the country. So just just know that, you know, call call us back in a year or two. There may be some new information, but as of right now, you've got every reason to be confident. And I'll give you one parting note before we okay. jump and take help somebody else. I saw data recently that says Frisco or Anna may become the, the actual center of the North Texas population base. As growth I was hoping that was gonna happen. I lived in Washington DC for years and watched how Virginia and Maryland kind of went out and that's yeah, what I was hoping it, for Anna ten years ago. It sounds crazy if you lived if you live in Dallas to think that Frisco or Anna might be the new center, but Collin County is exploding and it has room to grow and the builders and the investors and the cowboys and Toyota and everybody else is moving up there. <laughs> and so we, we expect that growth to continue. I saw that, that the growth may go from eight hundred thousand to three point two million by 2050 and this to be honest it sounds it makes sense the trending (laughs) is moving that way and it doesn't seem to be slowing down so hopefully that's helpful for you Lori. 
Well, it is. I'll keep listening to you when I'm ready to do something. I'll call you on. You can help me sell. Sounds good. We'd love to help you. Of course, you can find us at overunderagent.com. And it looks like Alan is on the line with some questions about homes he's got. What can we do for you, Alan? Well, I've got a question. I have a house in uh, Flower Mound that we've lived in for 14 years. Okay. Uh, the Denton Appraisal District says we're worth about double what we paid for it 14 years ago. It was a foreclosure then. Right. Um, it has, it's a 25-year-old house. has not had any updates except we've put porcelain floors throughout the downstairs. Um, we're planning to replace the kitchen countertops with some marble or granite, rather. We've got a brother who does that for cost. Right. And then we want to update a bathroom, uh, the master bathroom. Um, and that's about it before we sell the house in a year because we need to – we're going to plan to move closer to my work. Okay. Uh, do those kinds of repairs or um, – things uh, tend to update it's fine tend to uh, re, uh okay. pay for themselves real well alan i know you you sounded like the kind of guy that would do this to me because i just talked about how hgtv gets it wrong but here's the area where hgtv gets it right kitchens and bathrooms are almost not every single time but almost always going to be your highest return on your home investment and the reason is those of us, all of us, when we buy a home, we all spend most of our lives in our kitchen. Even if you're not a gourmet right. cook, that's where people gather when they come over. That's where the kids pony up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's where we tend to grab something out of the fridge and sit around and talk. Of course, the bathroom's a big deal, more often for women. But listen, if you're a guy and you like a nice bathroom, join the club. You know, nobody likes a filthy, old, funky bathroom. So at the end of the day, those are the two things that you can more often than not get right. So the answer to your question is yes. Get those done. One-year timeline would be great for you. And uh, if we can do anything else for you in the future, let us know. We'll be right back with more Texas Home Improvement here on WBAP. Should I fix up the house before selling it? Now, we've spoken with several of you that have called in about kitchens or counters or air conditionings. And, of course, we're going to take those things on a case-by-case basis. But generally speaking... Should you fix up the home before you sell it? Well, the answer, of course, is a resounding and decisive yes and no. Yes and no. Here's what I mean by that. Market-wide, it's generally a good thing to eliminate any negative aspects of your home before you sell it. If there's a hole in the wall, if there's a door that won't close, if the garage door opener is broken, if the dishwasher is leaking water, you need to repair those things. So those are more of repairs... Uh, than they are improvements. So let's distinguish between the two. I always tell people the most important thing to do when marketing your home for sale is to eliminate the negatives. So if you've got a problem, an AC unit that's out, a bad hot water heater, anything like that, go ahead and repair that. Now let's move over to the question that says, should I do improvements to the home to add value? Everything's working, everything's fine. But should I improve it? Well, we touched a little bit earlier on kitchens and bathrooms as well. But that can be a very, very dangerous answer to a simple question. If by saying you should improve your home, you go out and spend thirty or forty thousand dollars on a kitchen or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars on a master bathroom, let me give you the reason why improving your home before selling it is not always the best thing to do. And in the current real estate market, it's less often the best thing to do than in most real estate markets. This is going to be something that you don't typically hear from a real estate broker. Most real estate brokers want low price, high value, quick and easy sales. And what I'm going to tell you is the market right now is so strong for a seller that a lot of times you are going to achieve at or near the maximum sales price, assuming that you're using a good, talented, full-time agent. 
you're going to achieve at or near the maximum sale price for your home simply because you have a home that is available. Because of that, there's some serious diminishing returns for dollars invested in home improvements. So let's say that you've got a B-plus house and you're asking me, should I try to make it an A or an A-plus before I sell it? Well, if you have a B-plus home in West Richardson, North Dallas, Plano, Wiley, Saxe, Murphy, uh, West Fort Worth, anywhere south of Fort Worth right now, chances are pretty good there's enough demand on that home that somebody's willing to pay you at or near the maximum value simply because there is a home that they can buy that they might not have to compete with three or four or five other buyers on. So hear me loud and clear. Usually it's not a bad idea to add, you know, to pretty the place up, to add a couple of benefits. In this market, it may not be wise to do that if it requires a large budget, more than a few thousand dollars. Now, of course, that depends on the price point. If you've got a, you know, two $2 million home, you know, you might need to put twenty or thirty thousand into touching some things up. If you've got a two or three hundred thousand dollar home, you know, maybe you put a couple of thousand dollars into it. But you may not need to put a twenty, you know, fifteen or twenty into the kitchen. Now again, if you have negative aspects of your home, broken doors, busted pipes, things that don't work, you do need to get those working before you sell pretty much no matter what. Now, if you've got a specific question in regard to getting something ready before you sell, give me a call, 800-288-9227, 800-288-9227. Now, let's talk a little bit about the other side of this, buying a house in this market, right? Should I buy a home at full market value that doesn't have everything I want? Again, let me give you a bad radio answer, one word. Yes, you should. If you and your family and your budget are ready to own a home, then you should do that. Now, the market right now is not the same as it was six, seven, eight years ago. You might be paying at or near full market value, and you may not be getting a home that has every single bell and whistle. But you don't have a lot of other options for homes right now, right? And so what I'm saying is, no, you should not overpay for a home, and no, you should not buy a home that you're not satisfied with. You shouldn't buy a home that you don't love. But you should understand that the market we're in gives sellers a lot of leverage and you may not get a home that has every single thing you want and you might still be paying pretty good market value for it. We can break into that more. Give us a call. We'll be back with more Texas Home Improvement and Real Estate Talk here on WBAP. As we went to the break, we were talking about how this market shift affects home buyers. And, and let me just give you one good solid piece of advice. If you're thinking about buying a home in this market, do not rush. You, you just got to force yourself to be patient. And by that, I mean you need to sit down with a real estate advisor that you trust, that you truly believe is an expert, that does this all day, every day, full time, and put together a strategy. You need to talk to a mortgage lender up front. You need to have a strategy for how you're going to go about this. Because once you find a home that you like, you need to make an offer immediately. And you don't want to put yourself in the situation of needing to make an offer immediately if you haven't already talked through all of your, what I call, non-negotiables, all your concerns, your fears, your priorities, your values, and you haven't sat with somebody who will tell you what questions you should be asking, even though you didn't know to ask them. Let's bring Matt in with U.S. Tree Care. I've been looking forward to chatting with Matt for a while now because I have the kind of guy that has killed a tree and ruined my yard and should have talked to an arborist, and I learned that lesson the hard way a long time ago. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Todd. How you doing? Doing really well. We're having a little bit of fun in here today, and I'm I'm excited to have you join in with us, Matt. I've got a question for you. I know you know yeah. we we sell a hundred or so houses a year, and more and more every year, and it is not unusual at all for home buyers to say we want mature trees. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, you know, from your perspective, uh, what's the difference in a well-maintained and a poorly maintained mature tree, and what should we know about that? Well, there's a lot of differences. The biggest difference is the amount of problems you're going to have with them. So a well-maintained tree, just think of like you and me, right? If we take care of ourselves, if we exercise, if we get enough sleep, if we eat right, that kind of stuff, we generally tend to be healthier, right? Of course, yeah. The same, same exact thing happens with trees is when they're taken care of properly, you're going to have fewer problems, even fewer storm damage. You know, a lot of people think storm damage yeah. just happens, but, you know, there's actually a lot of science and physics behind what happens uh, when, a, when a tree fails. And so, we, we, my, you know, my company started actually warranting our work against storm damage last year. And so far, we've only had to honor, honor that warranty once uh, from trees failing. We've, we just get so few clients that, that tr- with trees that break, it's been amazing. Um, so it's, it's really, for me, it's more of a passion than anything, I think, than, than it is a business or whatever. But if you maintain a tree properly, you're just going to have so much fewer problems. And uh, what what are the most common tree issues that somebody in North Texas is going to deal with? Obviously, there are certain trees that are native and things, but what are the problems that we encounter with trees where we need somebody with your skill set and expertise? Well, the first one is right at planting. Uh, it, it just drives me crazy how, you know, you go and spend hundreds, thousands of dollars on a tree, and then the guys that do it come in and plant it wrong. And everybody thinks planting a tree is just sticking, digging a hole and sticking a tree in it. And there's just so much more to it. In fact, they just updated the ANSI standards uh, back in 2014. And I tell you what, the, the, the rate of failure, the rate of death when, when, that, when you follow those standards is just significantly lower. The other thing is it's really common here in Dallas to, for, for a tree to be over pruned. Uh, so you'll see, we call it lion's tilling or broccoli cutting. So just imagine like a stalk of broccoli, and then you've got this big tuft of of, gra- of, of foliage at the top. I call it the Doctor Seuss, the Doctor Who's, uh, excuse me, the Doctor Seuss trees, um, where you've got just a long branch and a tuft at the end. And we actually we look at that as a really toxic practice practice to the tree. It actually increases the rate at which trees fail structurally. Uh, what it does is it forces new growth on the ends. And then you take out the buffer zone, so the wind comes out at full force, gets to the end where all your leverage is, the tree fails. And w- would you agree with me that that's caused by, you know, too many folks out there knocking on doors saying, I can trim your tree for cheap, and they, they, get, a, they get a couple hours of work, and they leave you with 10, 15 years of, of something that's really hard to recover from on your tree? Yeah, they say the average that it takes to recover from one poor pruning job is 10 years, and that's doing it right over the course of that 10 years. I thought um, I was exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's bad. No, you're, you're right on spot. That's, that's right. Um, so, yeah, the door knockers. Now, mind you, I started my business by knocking on doors, so that's not to say that everybody out there that's knocking on doors is, is a bad apple or whatever, but... Um, but make sure you, you talk to them enough to really get a feel for how they're doing things. There's also a really cool website that you can kind of check what they're saying. It's called treesaregood.com. It's put on by, I believe, the International Society of Arboriculture. Uh, and I believe the, the U.S. Forest Service got involved on that project as well. Um, don't quote me on that, though. But there's some really good, it's like it's in layman's terms, so it's easy to understand and comprehend. 
um, just to check and make sure the guy you're talking to knows what they're talking to. Yeah, talking I think about. that's really important. When should somebody hire a tree service versus really doing it on their own? Because obviously you can do some things yourself, and most of our audience are kind of handy DIY type folks. But when sure. is it when is it really the smarter move to give you guys a call as opposed to doing it yourself? What's the line? Well, that's a great question. Um, here's the deal: is is we we charge a rate to come out and take a look at it. So for the do-it-yourselfers, that way we, if you want to do it yourself, at least have us come out and, and teach you and educate you, that kind of thing. Um, as far as you know, you asked the question when to do when to do tree work. Well, winter's typically the best, um, especially with planting. But if you notice anything going on wrong with your tree, is a great time to to uh, to call in a, a professional arborist. If uh, if you notice that the leaf color is different, the if you notice, like Joni, if you notice there's cracks along the bark, that kind of thing, it's always a good idea. But I believe in being proactive because what's that old saying? An, an ounce of prevention is, is worth a pound of repair is, you know, spend the cheap, you know, 50, 100 bucks to come out and take a look at it and see what's going on. Uh, is there anything that we need to be concerned with, that kind of thing. And as a result, you're going to have far fewer, far fewer problems later on down the road. And, and for just the price of coming out, you guys will, will tell folks what is needed and, and tell them how to do it themselves? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and like I said, if, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, we're okay with that. We just want to make sure that your trees are taken care of properly. And if that, if that means that you know, budget's an issue and you, don't, you can't afford our rates or whatever, we'd love to just teach you. That's, that's great because... Uh, you know, ultimately, like I said, my job is to connect people with trees. Our company slogan is improving the world one tree at a time. So if that's what it takes to, to do the right thing and make sure you have fewer problems and get to really enjoy your trees, absolutely. We'd love to teach you guys. Love it. Love it. And, you know, I've, I've learned that as soon as you tell me how complicated it is, I'm going to hire you to do it anyway. But it's nice <laughs> It's nice to know that you guys that's are at right. least willing to do it the right way. Let's take one more call here with Matt. Looks like Pat's got a question in Granbury. How can we help you, Pat? Well, I have a magnolia tree down here that I planted at the Methodist Church for in memory of my wife. And okay. uh, this has been going on since about 2007. The first magnolia did not make it at all. We tried everything. The second one we, we planted, it's still trying, but uh, it's, it's dying from the top. And okay. uh, it's got plenty of water. It's got its own water supply. And uh, we feed it... Uh, uh, twenty-one oh no every every uh, uh, four months, okay. and uh, watch the fire ants and all this and all that. But boy, I'm telling you, I just can't seem to get the handle on it. And maybe it's not yeah. getting enough water. Maybe it's getting too much water. I don't we, know. We've got about thirty seconds, Matt. Once you give them what you can. All right. So, and again, you know, hire a professional to come out and figure it out. Whether that's us, honestly, we don't go to Granberry, but uh, there's some great companies out there. Give us a call. We'll connect you with them. The it sounds like a younger tree, right? Well, it was planted in uh, like 08, 09. Okay. Yeah, so that's we consider that kind of a young tree, if you will. So okay. um, it may have been something that was done at planting. And by the way, that's not your fault. That's my industry's fault for not teaching this stuff. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, kind of figure out, if you look, let me ask you this. If you look down at the base, is it straight into the ground or does it flare out real big? Uh, it uh, has a little flare. Okay, yeah. good. 
Yeah, there, so, oftentimes there's something instructing it. And again, you know, it's so hard to tell over the radio, but have a good, great arborist. Um, come check it out and, and figure out a good game plan, especially being a sentimental tree like that. Pat, give the guys over at U.S. Tree Care a call, 214-578-1678, and they'll, give you, they'll get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. We'll be back with more Texas Home Improvement here on WBAP. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.